0: Please open your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 46. We'll be looking at Genesis chapter 46 verses 1 to 27 this morning. We are slowly working our way through the book of Genesis. And the light is at the end of the tunnel, but we are not there yet. And this passage points us to some great hope that we have and can have in our God. But before we study it, why don't we go to the Lord and ask for his mercy on us as we study his word. Father, this is your word, it is not ours. I pray, O Lord, that the meditation of our hearts, the words of my lips, will be honoring to you, our God and our Savior together this morning. Amen. There is two groups of people in the world. There are those kinds of people that when they go on long road trips, they like to make stops all along the way. And they don't just go where they're going, they like to sightsee. And then there are the people, like me, that view road trips as a... The goal of a road trip is to get where you're going. to get where you're going as fast as you can get there with as few stops along the way as you get it is something along something between mary andretti and dale erhard jr you know as you're trying to get there in as in as reasonable time and as maybe as legal of a way as possible your goal is to get to that destination now i i when we get in the car, we, we pack it up. We make sure everyone's there. We make sure we have everything. We go through those mental checklists. And then we, we pull out. This was a lot easier when we were young and and had no children. My wife and I could get in the car. We could drive through the night without any problems. We could make a 12-hour trip, and by cutting out all the stops, by, by stretching out the gas and making sure we had everything planned along the way, we could turn a 12-hour trip into a 10-hour trip, maybe, maybe shorter. We, we liked to, I, my wife, not so much, I liked to get there. I wanted to get wherever we were going. All of that was ruined when we had children. Children add a lot more flavor to the, to the car ride. Sometimes that flavor is welcome. Sometimes that flavor is quite noisy and alarming. But one of the flavors is now all of a sudden we have a lot more stops and our stops are longer. They are unplanned. It, it's the kind of thing where you make sure you have everything. Everything is packed. Everyone is packed. We're, we're all situated. Everyone has... We ask that critical question. Have you used the bathroom? Everyone gives us that ascent. Yes, we've all, we've all, nobody has to go. We've all used the bathroom. We're good. We get in the car, five minutes down the road. Dad, I need to stop. I've got to go to the bathroom. At that point, I just want to shove him outside the car and keep going. There's like some technical rules on that and the paperwork would be long. So we, we have not done that yet. I do not like making stops. But this chapter tells us about stops. That, a stop in particular, that Jacob, Israel, and his family took on their way down to, down to Egypt. You remember the last chapter we finished up, where Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. They're shocked and amazed, a little afraid at first. But there's forgiveness, there is grace, there is mercy. Then there's the invitation, get dad, bring everyone down. And and Pharaoh himself sends along with them wagons to bring all of the family down. They go home and they tell Jacob, Israel, about this invitation, about Joseph being alive. And Israel says, I will go. It is enough. I'm going to go. Almost every other time when we are told about the trip of god 's people going from Israel to egypt it 's almost all within just a phrase or a verse, maybe maybe two but we 're simply told, and so they went down to Egypt. But now, right when we are ready for that warm and fuzzy hallmark moment when Joseph and Jacob are finally reunited. We're we're waiting for that for chapters now. That's when Moses pumps the brakes and he tells us about a pit stop that Jacob made along the way. And then he goes on and he tells us something else. He tells us not only was there a pit stop, he, he goes and gives us a sort of manifest. This is who and what went with Jacob. And the question hanging over Jacob as he packs this caravan, you can imagine, is not only this excitement about seeing Joseph again, but he is being, he's making plans to leave the land that God had promised to his family. The question he must be asking himself is, will any of my family ever return here again? Is this a mistake? Me going to see my son Joseph. Am I, am I doing something that I should not be doing? If Am I leading my family to sin? That we're going to go down to Egypt and it's going to be terrible. There's going to be things that happen there that are not good. Will we ever return to the land that God has promised? Is this the end of God's promises to us? Am I failing Or has God failed us in taking us away out of the land of Canaan? I mean, certainly God is God. He could have provided for them while they were in Canaan. These questions bubble just under the surface. Directing this whole, whole chapter. And so it is these questions that are answered in our text. And we see where Joseph stops in verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. This is a significant town. It is the, the last town, the last exit that you're going to find before you go on the highway and continue outside of the land of promise. If you were traveling through Pennsylvania... Going south, this would be the last exit before you cross the border. Beersheba is right there on the border. One side you can look across and you can see outside the Promised Land, and one look, one glance to the other side, you see inside the Promised Land. But this place is more significant than the fact that it's right on the border. It's significant because back in Genesis chapter. 21, Abraham and the Philistines had warred over a well. And in fighting and quarreling over this well, Abraham digs a well here at Beersheba. And God makes room for him there. There's no more quarreling. And Abraham makes a covenant, a peace treaty, an agreement with the Philistines. And for the first time, Abraham has space in the land that God has promised them. Isaac himself, in almost a repeat, we see this chapters later, where Isaac is is fighting with the Philistines again, and he himself digs a well, the same well that his father Abraham had dug, and finally, after fighting with the Philistines over a number of wells, he is given space. This is the place that both Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. It was the place where God had provided water, For Jacob's grandfather and father. And it was the the place where God had affirmed his covenant with Isaac, Jacob's father. This is a significant place. And so Jacob stops at this place. What does he do while he's there? Well, the first thing he does, we are told, is he sacrifices So Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. By doing this, Jacob is identifying himself with the Lord. With the God of Abraham, with the God of Isaac. He is is worshiping this God, submitting himself, and trusting in him. By showing, by, by worshiping in this way, by making sacrifices, he is... He is showing that he is clinging to the covenant promises that God had made to him through his father, through his fathers. And sacrifice at this time was how God had instructed his people to worship him. More than this, sacrifice reveals that Jacob, Israel, knows that he does not deserve God's mercy. He, he knows he needs God's pardon and forgiveness. Jacob is recognizing here at the outset of his worship, he is recognizing that he is a sinner in need of pardon and forgiveness. And yet, because this is the way that God had ordained to be worshipped, he is himself showing that he is trusting in God. We see in verse 2 that God speaks to Jacob. He calls him. Verse 3, sorry, verse 2. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. He, he calls out to him, Jacob, Jacob. In Genesis twenty-two eleven, God had called Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. As Abraham was about to kill his son, Isaac. God stops him, preventing him by calling him out twice. In Exodus chapter 3 verse 4, God will call out from the burning bush, Moses, Moses. In 1 Samuel 3.10, that little boy Samuel asleep at night. God calls out to him, Samuel, Samuel. And in Acts chapter 9, we are told of Saul on his way to Damascus. God gets his attention. Saul, Saul, at moments of crisis, God speaks and he gets, he arrests the attention of his servants. It is almost as if God is saying here, Hey, Jacob, pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. This is critically important. As you leave what is the land that I have promised to you, you need to hear something. You need to know something. You need my word. And he goes on. He identifies himself. Verse 3. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. He is identifying himself as the one who has made a covenant with Abraham and with Isaac. And Then he says, gives this command. Do not fear. Do not fear to go down to the land of Canaan. Why? Why would Jacob be afraid? He may be afraid of going to a foreign country. He may be afraid of making a similar, similar mistake to what Abraham made. You remember back in Genesis chapter 13, Abraham, after he gets this call, there is a famine. And what does Abraham do when the famine comes? He goes to Egypt and there it ends disastrously. And he quickly returns back to the promised land. Isaac himself, a famine comes and he is tempted to go to Egypt like his dad did. And God comes to him and he tells him, don't go to Egypt. And now there's another famine. Israel is leading his family to Egypt, wondering, is this the right thing? Abraham went there, it was a mistake. My father intended to go there, but you stopped him. Is this right? He may be afraid that, as we mentioned before, that he would never, his family would never return to the land that God had promised. That the covenant that God made with the people of Israel would be broken and ended by this act to leave. I think he also may be afraid of what God had said to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15. Do you remember... Back in Genesis 15, Abraham is doubting, but God tells him, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars, as the sand on the shore. And Abraham believes God and it's counted to him as righteousness. And then we go on and God reveals himself to Abraham in in a spectacular way. And in a vision, God tells Abraham that his people are going to go to a foreign land. They're going to go to Egypt and there they're going to be afflicted For 400 years and enslaved while they're there. And Jacob has got to be wondering Am I leading my family to disaster? Going there because of a famine, but is, is it a greater sin of what I'm doing to my family? Saving them from starvation, but enslaving them and causing them to be afflicted for 400 years. And in the face of Jacob's fear, the Lord assures him. And I want you to know the Lord doesn't say, Jacob, do not fear to go to Egypt because I'm going to protect you. He doesn't say, Do not fear to go to Egypt because nothing bad will happen to you or your descendants. He doesn't say, Go to Egypt because there I'm going I'm to make you wealthy and healthy and prosperous. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. That's that promise. And that's it, it's significant. I will make of you a great nation where? There, which must blow the mind. Where is God going to fulfill his promise? Is it in the promised land? No, it's going to be outside the promised land. Doesn't God need the right set of circumstances and the right situation? For it to work? No. He, he's going to lead his people outside the land of promise. And there in Egypt, he's going to cause them to grow. They will go down as 70. They will return in the hundreds of thousands. But in verse 4, here's the assurance. Not only is there the promise, but now the assurance. I will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. God assures Jacob that he will be with him. Just as he assured Abraham that he would be with him and Isaac after him. Just as he assured Jacob years before in chapter 28 of Genesis, while Jacob has got his head resting on a stone at Bethel, God makes the promise, I will be with you. And this promise God has continued to make. We see it at the end of of Deuteronomy chapter 31, where God repeats this promise as he's preparing his people to go into the promised land. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Joshua 1, God assures Joshua, after Moses has passed, that he will never leave him, he will never forsake him. And we have that same promise today. The promise is not that life will go well with us. The promise is that God will go with us. The promise is not that God will lead us to safety and prosperity, but that wherever God leads, he will be with his people. The Lord called Jacob to go to Egypt where his descendants would suffer slavery and affliction for 400 years. Untold horrors occurred during that time frame. And God's assurance was that he would never leave. He will never abandon his people. those of you who are parents and your kids are old enough you know what it was like to send your kids off to school on Wednesday after Tuesday occurred maybe you like us that night Had to look your children in the eyes and tell them, this is what has happened. We did not tell our boys, God will protect you, he will keep you safe. He won't let anything bad happen to you. We told our boys that no matter what, the Lord was with them. We assured our boys that God himself would never leave them. And we encouraged them in light of that to act safely, but to, if, if danger were to occur, to act for the sake of others. And we are reminded it's not just schools. We are reminded whether it's supermarkets, whether it's gathering with friends and walking down the streets, there is nowhere safe. this past Thursday, Friday night. We're reminded that even even homes can be unsafe. As in Pottstown, a, a propane leak fills a home. And that leak is ignited and that home is no more and the lives that are lost are gone. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Lord may lead us into unemployment. He may direct our way into the emergency room. He may cause us to walk into funeral homes or to walk the path of agony and distress through divorce. He may may direct our steps into the pathway of a bullet. But he will never lead us where he himself has not gone before us. No matter how dark the room, Christ has gone ahead of us. And he will meet us there. There is no tragedy that will befall us that has not and does not come to us through the nailed, scarred hands of our Savior. He is our, as we sang before, our sure and steady anchor. And so despite whatever fear we may have, we do not need to allow that fear to control us. For we have the presence of Almighty God with us. It is in light of this that the author of Hebrews writes in verse 6, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Friends, with such great promises, it would be insanity not to follow God. It would be insanity not to follow him. But after these first four verses, we not only given this glorious promise, we are given a manifest, so to speak, of who and what went along with Jacob on this trip. We see in verses 5 to 7, Then Jacob arose from Beersheba and the sons of Israel carried their father, Jacob, their little ones and their wives in their carts, which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his son's sons, his daughters and his son's daughters and all his descendants. He brought with him to Egypt. The answer is, what did he take to Egypt? Everything. In light of God's assurance, I will be with you, I will go with you, and I will restore you. Jacob takes everything, not a shoelace left. He made sure to bring not only his iPhone, but his his iPhone cords, right? Hey, he had it all. Nothing was left behind. No one was left behind. His children, his grandchildren, every one of his family members are brought to Egypt. That shows us that his faith in God here is total. Just as Abraham was called to go to a land that he did not know, but to simply trust in the Lord. So Jacob is being called to rely on the promises and on the word of God. To bank everything on it. Not only his life but the life of his children and of his children's children and of their children and generation after generation. He is risking everything on the promises and the word of God. He leaves nothing and no one behind to to secure his interest there. There is no organization, there's nothing behind that that he can come back to and say, hey, this belongs to me. This is what faith looks like. Submitting to God's word, banking everything on it, taking what may appear to be from the world's eyes a risk, but judging that the reward that God gives is far greater than whatever we may lose. This is what we are called to do to believe God's word of who Jesus is and what he has done. That on the cross he has has died in the place of sinners, so that all who trust in him will have their sins weighed and placed upon him, where he is judged in their stead and his righteousness is credited to their account. So that we may now stand before God. As saints, as beloved, as holy, as just, as righteous. Not with the righteousness that we have, but in the righteousness of Christ alone. Faith banks on, rests on, risks it all on. God and his word and on his son. Friend, I would encourage you, if you have never trusted in Christ Jesus, that today you would do so, that you would trust in Him. There is no forgiveness, there is no salvation outside of Christ Jesus. The only way that God is pleased with any of us is not because we ourselves will be good in the future, or have been good in the past, or have good family or parents, but that we have trusted in him alone who is good. Risk it all on him. For we have this promise that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Life upon life. Not just life after life. But eternal life. Fullness of life not just merely unending life, but a life that you and I cannot even begin to grasp. It is infinite, glorious. And then you see in verses 8 to 27, the manifest for this journey that is the the list. If if this was an airline, this would be everyone who's on it. This is another genealogy. Don't you just love these by now? Moses has given us genealogy after genealogy throughout the book of Genesis. All of them are weighted down with meaning and significance. This one is no different. We can touch on its significance in just a few moments. What read, follow along with me as I read, and I'm going to read the genealogy despite the fact that it is just a, na- a bunch of names, and we'll get to why this is important in just a moment. But verse 8 now these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons who went to Egypt. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. The sons of Reuben were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shal, the son, of the, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah were Ur. Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah, but Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of, the sons of Issachar were Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulon were Sered, Elan, and Jalil. These were the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob and Padan Aram, with his daughter Dinah. All the persons, his sons and his daughters, were thirty-three. The sons of Gad were Ziphion, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Erodi, and Ereli. The sons of Asher were Jimna, Ishua, Izui, Berea, and Sarah, their sister. And the sons of Berea were Heber and Malkiel. These were the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob 16 persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, were Joseph and Benjamin, and to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of An bore to him. The sons of Benjamin were Belah, Beker, Ashbel, Girah, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Huppim, and Ard. These were the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, fourteen persons in all. The sons of Dan, the son of Dan was Hushim. The sons of Naphtali were Jazeel, Guni, Jezer, and Shilem. These were the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, and she bore these to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body besides Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were seventy. There's a lot that we could look at here, but I just want to draw your attention to a number of things. Moses feels it important to include this list of names before he gets to the most important moment of the reunion between Jacob and Joseph. This is not a throwaway list. This is important to him. And it's constructed unusually. We would expect that It would go in the order of the wives who were married. Or maybe even the favorite wife, Rachel being first. But he doesn't do that. He goes Leah and then Zilpah, Rachel and then Bilhah. I want you to notice there are in this genealogy multiples of seven that come out. We we find that Leah has 33 children and Zilpah, has sixteen children. These are the first two brought together and thirty-three and sixteen make forty-nine. There is seven times seven. And then we are told Rachel has fourteen people within her party of the house and that's seven times two. And then Zil- or sorry, Bilha has seven children. And then at the very end, we are told that there are seventy people in all. Clearly, seven and its multiples play a significant part of what Moses is doing. In fact, if we were to go back in Genesis, we could trace that that is something that Moses does from time to time, laying stress on this number of seven. And it signifies completeness, wholeness, perfection. That is, to reiterate what we have read before, all of Israel goes down. And all that they have, there is nothing left He is stressing that this people is the entire people of God. I think there there is something else. Back in Genesis chapter 10, following the flood, we are given this list of nations that come from Noah. If you can put Adam and creation, and from him, humanity spreads out, and then the flood comes in, destroys everything, and the flood becomes a picture of destruction, judgment, and then recreation. And following Noah, there are 70 people groups. And it's the last time we find a genealogy or a list that has 70 people groups within it. I think, and this is a, a bit of speculation, but I think what Moses is doing here, is he is trying to show the people of Israel as they prepare to go into the promised land. I think what he wants them to see is that they are they are that, as the people of God, they are that new creation. They are that new humanity. They are the the new people of God. There was Adam, but humanity, Adam and Eve, fell and plunged humanity into the fall. And there was Noah, and from him, 70 tribes and people groups come. But they too have fallen away. Here is the new people following God by faith, walking by God, walking after the way of the Lord by faith. And this points us forward to the New Testament where people of every tribe and tongue are brought into the family of God by faith through union with Christ Jesus and we are by faith in Him a new creation. And it calls us to look ahead to a a new heavens and a new earth. We read in Revelation 21 there. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people and he will be their God. Then all the promises of God will be seen to be true. We have here that despite the fact that they are leaving the promised land, these are the people of God. The new humanity, the new ones who are following after, by faith, the word of the Lord, living under the word of God. And one day they will, they will return to the place that God has established for them. And brothers and sisters, you who have trusted in God, we too, by faith, united by Christ, are new creations, living under the word of God, looking forward to that time in which we will one day be one with God for all eternity. There, there will be no pain, no tears, no sin. Joy forever in the presence of Him who is most glorious and most glad. Look to that day and know that he is with us on this day. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are longing for that day in which we will be with you. Oh Savior, we we want that day to come where we will. As with an unveiled face, see you not through a glass darkly, but there face to face. Until then, O Father, help us to live by faith. Help us to live in the confidence that no matter what may come, no matter what situation or circumstances we may find ourselves in, we may have no fear of what man may do to us. We may have no fear of what may happen to us, for we may know with absolute and utter conviction and confidence that you are with us. Oh God, grant us this Hope, grant us this, grant us faith to live in light of that word, those promises, until the day when you call us home to be with you. This we pray, O oh Savior, in your name. Amen.